always had read the Bible every day, but I was not feeling conviction. And once I repented, and it took six weeks of God showing me more and more sin every day for six weeks, then I began to be able to read the Bible and hear from God and realize I don't just need to read this, I need to actually live it. How did a Christian woman who was angry, hurt, controlling, and miserable in her marriage make the transition to someone who today is content, happy, fulfilled, and peaceful in her marriage? It wasn't easy, but it wasn't complicated. She began by obeying the Word of God. April Cassidy is our guest today. I'm your host, Jim Lewis, and this is Purity for Life. I am joined today by April Cassidy, and she describes herself as a very happily married mother of two, a Christian marriage blogger, YouTuber, and the author of a book entitled The Peaceful Wife, Living in Submission to Christ as Lord. April, welcome to Purity for Life. Thank you so much for having me. As you know, we are primarily a men's ministry. We are biblical counselors whose mission is to walk men in freedom from sexual sin and often long-term, life-dominating, habitual sin. And when that man is married, his sin has profound impact on his wife, often his children, and uh, his home, his family for years to come. So we offer counsel to wives through our wives program. We help them navigate life after the devastation of sexual sin and uh, into new life with a man who has repented and turned from his sin and is now walking in freedom through faith in Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. Your ministry is not in any way related specifically to sexual sin, but you have a lot to say to women about their need to see themselves in light of God's Word. Women need to understand their specific role in the marriage that God has designed for them and for which she was actually created. And you have a lot to say about repentance. When a woman comes to see that she's not been living according to the standard of God's Word. You also encourage women by saying, that as you began to live a life of obedience to God, as you began to walk in the role for which you were created, as you say it, as you lived in submission to the Lord Jesus, your life got a lot better. You are the peaceful wife and the peaceful mom. So would you please Start by telling me what your life was like before you started this journey. Tell me about the first 14 years of your marriage. Well, thank you for that introduction, Jim. I'm going to start a little earlier than our marriage because I think it's helpful to see that for our story. But sure. I was raised by Christian parents who had a strong Christian marriage. 
I'm an identical twin, and I'm the mm. older one, and I was the dominant twin. I was the one in charge, the one that did all the talking and the speaking and everything for both of us. And so Greg and I dated for almost six years. He was my only boyfriend ever. He was from a strong Christian family. His dad was a Baptist pastor. Okay. And we got along great when we were dating, except for one time that I broke up with him for three weeks. And other than that, we did really well. And I thought going into marriage that I was the most prepared woman ever to be a godly wife. And Greg's dad told us we didn't need counseling because we had raised each other. We had been Mm. together so long. And so I believed that. And I read some marriage books, but I always skipped the part about conflict and stuff because we weren't going to have that problem. Of course not. And I went into marriage with so much pride, thinking that I understood it all and that I had nothing to learn. And everything was great for about three days. And then... (laughs) Things began to fall apart, and for the first time ever, things did not go my way, and we had not talked about our expectations, so I assumed that we had the same expectations about a lot of things, but we did not, and I didn't have any tools to deal with with it. So we got back from our honeymoon, and Greg's parents had bought a house for us to live in, which was extremely generous. But the house needed a lot of work, and Greg and his dad worked on the house until from after supper until midnight, six nights a week for the first three months that we were married. And I was angry. I wanted my husband's time. I thought we would spend hours together talking and connecting like we did when we were dating. I didn't care about the stupid house. I, you know, wanted us to have time together. And I began to push back, and I didn't like the decisions that he made. And he was trying to build a house for us, a place to live. He was actually trying to show love to me, but I didn't receive it that way because I didn't understand how differently we thought. And so I started to try to force my way verbally and he began to shut down, which he had never done with me before. And he got more and more quiet and passive. And then I increased my volume more and more to try to make him do what I wanted. And thankfully after the three months Things were a little better when he wasn't, you know, working on the house 40 hours a week plus a job 40 hours a week. But we set into some deep ruts that were destructive. And I had that mindset of, well, I just need to be in charge because I would ask him things. I would ask him questions, what he wanted to do. And if he couldn't answer within 10 seconds, then I would say, well, I guess you just can't lead and I'm going to have to take over. And the poor guy needed a little more time, but I, I didn't understand that. I just thought everyone thought just like I did. And mm-hmm. so we, I mean, we never, we never cussed at each other. We never called each other names or anything, but I was condescending and I thought I was always right. And my addiction was control. It was an illusion, but I thought that it was my responsibility to make things happen. I didn't understand God's sovereignty and so I, I tried to verbally drag Greg to, to myself and to God, and that didn't work. And he um, shut down more, and I took over more. And so things were, I mean, not as bad as some marriages. There was no violence or anything like that, no affairs or abuse or anything. But 
it was definitely, there was a wall there and I couldn't get through it. And the more I tried, the higher the wall seemed to get. Okay. Uh, You bring up an issue that is very important for us in what we do. And uh, that is the sin of pride. Mm -hmm. We are of the opinion, based on everything we know of Scripture, that the sin behind every other sin is the sin of pride. I agree. And you said you went into this marriage filled with pride. Yes. And so that set pride cometh before destruction. A fall, yes. And, and, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so you were set up to fall. Yes. You were set up to fail by your own pride. When did you come to grips with that? And when did you start to deal with your own pride? You know, what's sad is that nobody confronted me about my pride ever. Like my parents, my pastor, my teachers, my husband, my siblings. I was, I was not confronted, and that was not a gift to me or to anybody around me because I couldn't. Pride is blinding, and I couldn't mm-hmm. see it in myself. So it wasn't until 14 and a half years into our marriage when I read a book in the bookstore at our church. I just skimmed through it about love and respect by Dr. Emerson Egerich and began to realize it said that husbands need respect the way wives need love. And I told Greg, that that can't be right. Y'all need love too, don't you? And he said, no, I'd say that's right. And it hit me that if my respect for Greg was the measure of how godly of a wife I was, that I did not have an A-plus on my godly wife report card. Mm. And I didn't know really what respect looked like or meant. And I asked Greg, okay, well, just tell me everything that's disrespectful, and I'll write it down. And then tell me everything that's respectful, I'll write it down, and we'll fix this in five minutes. Like, I had no idea I was contributing to the problem in our marriage. I thought I was essentially faultless. And everything was his fault. And he believed the same thing, which is even sadder to yeah. me. But um, so that was the first time that I really had to face that I was not, I was not perfect. I was not a, a godly wife, and I had a lot of sin in my life. When I read your blog, it said you spent the first 14 years of your marriage praying for God to change Greg. Mm-hmm. In all those years of asking God to change your husband, and I assume some of it you thought was for his sake, most of it was for your benefit, (laughs) Um, but in all those years of asking God to change him, did God ever answer your prayer? I was very angry about that because, no, I didn't see God change Craig. And and, and not only was I, I wasn't just asking God, I was demanding Mm. because I was actually trying to control God just the same exact way that I tried to control Greg and other people around me. And so I would tell God, you need to fix Greg. You need to make him pray with me. You need to make him care about me. You need to make him forget about the stupid TV and sports. And you need to make him spend time with me. And and I need to be his priority, not the TV, not working on the house, not all these other things. And he needs to be the way he used to be with me. And I would demand it. And I would say, and it needs to happen by eight o'clock tonight. (laughs) Uh, And it didn't. And it didn't. It didn't. 
And Greg knew that I held him in contempt. And he began to to slide farther and farther away from me and from God. So God wasn't answering your prayer. No. And this made you angry with God? Yes. Certainly angry with your husband. Oh, I was angry with both of them, yes. Yeah. And Greg wasn't getting any better. No, he, if anything got more quiet and more passive and more shut down and just let me have control over everything. And just he just, it, by the time that I saw the book, Love and Respect, mm-hmm. it was to the point where he didn't want to be in the same room with me. He didn't want to talk to me. He didn't, he didn't care about my feelings. If I was upset, he, he would just look at me with this blank look in his eyes. Like, right. He didn't care. And he didn't want to touch me. He didn't want to be around me. Wow. And so, of course, I would tell God and Greg, look at that. Look at what a terrible husband he is. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, I didn't see that I was, that his reaction was to what I was doing, that it was pain, that I was hurting him. I had no idea. He did not say that ever. Right. He never told me, what you're doing hurts me. I feel disrespected. I feel unloved. Never. So I had no idea. Well, I'm not going to let Greg off the hook uh, because it takes two uh, in a a marriage. And Greg was not fulfilling his responsibility. He wasn't talking. He wasn't communicating. He wasn't meeting your needs. He was, I'm sure, very selfish in his own self-protective pride and in his own shell. And he was just trying to get by and trying to survive, but he wasn't he wasn't speaking up, he wasn't communicating, he wasn't telling you what he needed. He wasn't confronting you. He right, wasn't because it he, was scary. He was, it it yeah. would have been very scary, but it necessary, yeah. He wasn't being the priest in his home, and I understand that. But I'm I'm belaboring the point of your behavior simply because we're hoping that this episode will be for women who listen in and see that the more you tried to control him, mm-hmm. the worse his behavior got. Yes. For the wife who has been devastated by her husband's sexual sin, I mean, she has truly been hurt. And as men, we have no idea how that feels. And, right. and, and it's very hard for a man in sexual sin to empathize with what he's done to his wife because he has done it to her. It hasn't been done to him. And besides that, the longer he's in sexual sin, the less he's able to feel and, and have emotions and, and, and empathize with anyone because he's completely selfish and, and self-consumed. However, when a woman has been hurt and when her life is starting to come apart, the only way she can fix things is by taking control. In the flesh, the only way. Sure. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) This is all in the flesh. We we get that. She takes control. I will make sure he behaves himself by watching his every move. Right. And by challenging everything he says to make sure he's telling me the truth, even though I'm not going to believe him, regardless of what comes out of his mouth. And so in trying to fix it, she makes it so much worse. 
Well, we are looking for security. We are looking for love, and we think we can force that, but we can't. You you are looking for affection and romance Mm -hmm. and communication, and you are looking for security, and you are looking for openness and honesty. Right. And all of these things that you need, he's not giving. Right. And how dare he not yeah. give me what I need. Yeah. Because we go into marriage and most men don't know what their wife needs. And most women don't know what their husband needs. They just right. assume, as you did, that he needs what I need. Right. And I was, I thought I was giving him what he needed, but I wasn't. Yeah. So talk to me about Egrich's book and the revelation that that was for you and how things began to change. Well, I had, I had accepted Christ at the age of five. I had been in a Southern Baptist church mm-hmm. my whole life, and I was well-versed with Scripture. I could quote plenty of Scripture. And so when I saw what Emerson Egrich said about Ephesians 5, that the the wife must respect her husband, the husband must love his wife, yeah. that these are unconditional commands, and they're given to each spouse individually. It's not, wife, make your husband love you, mm-hmm. or husband, make your wife respect you. It's, wife, you must respect your husband. And it's so instead of me trying to force my husband to do what I needed and wanted, God was calling me to do what he wanted me to do for Greg. And I had not thought about that. And I, well, I had asked him, what do you need? What is it that you need? Like, just tell me, just tell me what you need. And he would say nothing. And I eventually decided he had no feelings Mm -hmm. and I could just say anything and it wouldn't matter, but that wasn't true. He did have feelings. And so I um, was shocked (laughs) to realize that he, he needed something that I didn't even know. I couldn't even define it. I, I had not been trained up north. I grew up up north and we didn't really talk about respect. And I had received so many messages from our culture that disrespect for men is normal and that that's how we're supposed to treat men. That, yeah. And I had never questioned that. And I had no idea that I was sabotaging our marriage. This idea of love and respect that Egrich details so well in his book, drawn right out of Ephesians 5. Mm -hmm. You get the sense that, I don't know how brilliant Paul was, but this is something that the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul to share with the church because this is the way the Holy Spirit of God, this is the way God hardwired men and women to be. Absolutely. All women need love. Right. All men need respect. And that's exactly what Paul tells us in Scripture. Mm -hmm. So when did you begin to put this into practice? Or, Well, you you refer to this as your blinding light experience. You began to see this. Well, tell me about that. Okay. So so in that bookstore, in that moment— it was like the 14 years of our marriage literally passed before my eyes in my mm. mind. And I was suddenly seeing for the first time that I had been hurting my husband with my disrespect. I didn't, I didn't consciously know that I was disrespecting him, but I began to see like, 
I have done a lot of a lot of very terrible things to him with my words mm-hmm. and my attitude and my pride and self righteousness. And so I apologized to him there in the bookstore and and in two seconds he forgave me for fourteen and a half years of disrespect and I thought, Wow, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't forgive I couldn't forgive him for little tiny things. And I had thought I was so close to God and he was so far from God, but I begin to realize maybe that's not the case. And so I asked him to tell me what what he needed, but he couldn't articulate it. And so I began to read. I read that book first, and I had no mentor. I read eventually over 30 books in wow. three and a half years. I spent a good three to five hours a day, seven days a week studying, praying, journaling, begging. And my prayer changed from God, change Greg, to please change me. Mm-hmm. Show me what does this mean? I don't understand. I don't. I missed, I missed a lot somehow. I don't understand what it means to be a godly wife. I don't understand how to honor my husband's leadership. I don't think he will lead me, but you say he will, so I want to trust you. And if I have to sit here till I'm 80 years old and do it your way, and even if we go nowhere, I am going to follow from now on. And So I begged God to show me, and I was very awkward and terrible at first because I was trying to show respect, but I didn't know what it meant. So I would send him these 3,000-word emails with all these things I respected about him, which would be something I would like for him to do for me to say he loves me in all these ways. But And then he wouldn't email me back. I would check every five minutes while he was at work for him to send me a response and he didn't. And by the time he'd get home, I would be in tears because he didn't love me because he didn't respond back to my email. And he would say, what happened to the wife who sent the email? um, I just didn't understand and didn't know what I was doing. So it took a good three years before things began to click, Mm, which is sad and it was discouraging. But every time I would get discouraged, I would go to God. This taught me to trust God and depend on Him alone, and I'm thankful for that time. Yeah. But I would go to God and say, well, He would kind of gently say, April, why are you doing this? Are you wanting to change in order to get Greg to do what you want? Or are you doing this for me? And that would humble me again. Mm-hmm. And I would say, okay, I'm doing this for you, God. I. I don't really understand what I need to do. Like, I need help because I didn't get any feedback from Greg at all. So I would try all these things, trying to show him the respect that he needed. But I didn't know which things actually were respectful in his view and which things weren't until years later. So that was frustrating. But eventually, um, after reading so many books, I began to get a, a clearer picture of what respect meant and what it meant to honor my husband's leadership, which was very hard for me as a type A personality to just be still and wait. So I began to learn to say, we have this decision to make. Here is what I would like to do, but I'm going to leave it up to you and whatever you think will do that. And I would just leave it for days or weeks even. And eventually he realized I was serious and he began to very slowly soften. It was at first he was extremely skeptical because he didn't think I could change. Right. And he kind of stayed back. But after um, three and a half years, he said, I feel safe with you again. 
And he said, I think you need to share some of what you've learned with some other wives. And that blew my mind because I only wanted to try to make our marriage right. I didn't want Greg to be able to say, our marriage is a mess because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. I wanted to carry all the weight on my end that God gave me. And I didn't want it to be able to be my fault if there was a problem. (laughs) And I wanted to see the marriage healed. And I wanted to see before one of us passed away, I wanted to see me have a chance to make up some of the things to him, to be a safe place for him. But it was a very difficult road. (laughs) Yeah. We've already talked about Ephesians 5, which is the Mm -hmm. the basic verse that Egrich gets this teaching from. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, see that you respect your husbands. What other scriptures did God give you along the way that really helped transform your thinking that, that you still cling to to this day? Well, I began to, I mean, I always had read the Bible every day, mm-hmm. but I was not, I was not feeling conviction. I could read through things and think I was doing them. Sure. And once I repented and it took six weeks of God um, showing me more and more sin every day for six weeks, <laughs> I just repented and repented. But then I began to be able to read the Bible and hear from God and realized I don't just need to read this. I need to actually live it. Mm-hmm. And so... Be a doer of the Word. Yes, exactly. Like James says, of course, First Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, about what agape love looks like. Okay. And I would put my name in the place of love is patient, love is kind. Mm-hmm. I would think... I would write it out, April is patient, April is kind, and I would ask God to show me, like, show me where I need to improve, show me where there's sin in my life. And I would um, look at Galatians five twenty two through 23, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I didn't have those things before. Right. And God began to work these things slowly into my life. And I remember about six weeks after I started this journey, I realized that my mind wasn't constantly spinning. My chest wasn't tight. I didn't feel anxious and afraid like I always had. And I didn't know what was going on. And then it hit me. Oh, this is peace. Oh, wow. (laughs) Like, I like this. I want to live in this every day. And then um, that also showed me that passage in Matthew twenty five, thirty one through forty six where whatever you do for the least of these my brothers you okay. do for me. And I begin to see like the way I treat Greg is a tangible indicator of how I'm treating God. Mm-hmm. And so that made a huge difference in my life. And then John fourteen, fifteen through seventeen, if you love me you will obey my commands. And anyone who does not love me does not obey and like that obedience is part of how we show love was important. You use words that are part of your vocabulary that are very solid biblical words that you almost never hear preached anymore. And so far, just in our conversation, we have mentioned submission. Mm-hmm. That's in the subtitle of your book. You just mentioned obedience. Mm-hmm. You started talking about coming down out of your pride and coming into humility. 
And right. you talked about repenting. When God shows you where your life doesn't line up with his word, he's revealing sin. And the obvious response when you discover sin is to repent. Now, these are the themes that we teach men in our program because they're in gross habitual sin. But you're describing what should be the life of any Christian woman. Yes. Where where have you seen these things as a desperate need in your own life? Well, you mentioned pride being the root sin for other sins. I absolutely agree with that because mm-hmm. if if I'm prideful, then I believe I know best, and I believe that my wisdom is higher than God's, and I don't need God's Word, and who cares what His commands are because I'm going to do what I think is right. And so... If you don't address the pride, then the other things don't matter. I have to be willing to say, God, I am taking myself off the throne of my heart. I'm Mm -hmm. taking my sinful self off the throne, and not only taking it off the throne, I will crucify it with Jesus. It has to die, and I need the new nature that Jesus gave me in order to be able to walk in obedience, because on our own, in our sinful nature, none of us can do any good thing. The Bible says none of us are good, not one of us, and that in our own power, our attempts at righteousness look like bloody, dirty rags Mm. to God. And so I realized, like, I need the Holy Spirit, and the only way to have the power of the Holy Spirit is to humble myself and is to say, you are my Lord. And we say in our Christian culture, oh, Jesus is my Savior and Lord, really flippantly. Mm-hmm. And we use that word Lord like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. Yes. And if I am submitting myself to his authority, um, that means he's in charge. He is the master. I am not. He is the potter. I am the clay. He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one dominating Jesus saying, you better do this. And you need, I mean, that was totally inappropriate for me to do that. And so the proper posture for a believer in Christ is what Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane. That's Lord, right. not my will, but yours be done. And so God has to become my greatest treasure, my greatest priority. His approval has to mean the most to me, not my own happiness or my idols, which I had so many idols, my husband, myself, romance, things that really were more important to me than Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I had to be willing to tear those, and it's painful to yes, tear these is. idols that we don't even realize we have sometimes. But when you realize that something is more important to you than Jesus, it has to go. Mm-hmm. And those things will destroy us if we let them stay on the throne of our hearts. So it it's painful to die to self but it's the way to abundant spiritual life. I just want to ask you two final questions as we wrap up, and I appreciate this so much. Describe how God began to change your husband as you concentrated only on him changing you. So I couldn't see it for a really long time that God was working, but of course he was working in both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But... As Greg saw that I was serious about that I was seeking God first and that I was going to obey God, no ma- and, and it didn't matter to me at that point what Greg did. or Like, it was not about him. It was about me and God. 
Um, and when he saw that, that over time, and he saw that when I stumbled and fell a lot, <laughs> I got back up, I repented, and I was determined, like, God, show me, teach me your ways. Over time, he began to soften. And over time, as I stopped criticizing him and complaining about him and demeaning him and humiliating him and telling him what to do and bossing him around as I stopped all the negative things. He said it was like, later he told me, it was like somebody took the static off of the speaker with God's voice in his heart. So he began to be able to hear God's voice more clearly. How about that? And then, I know, and then that as I learned what it really meant to genuinely look for the good in him and focus on that and respect that and what it meant to really honor him and to be patient and let him lead and not jump up and take over. He said it was like somebody put an amplifier on the speaker in his heart that had God's voice. And so very slowly he began to lead and he began to make decisions. He began to grow more confident and it was extremely, excruciatingly slow <laughs> progress, mm-hmm. but it was progress eventually. And as he saw that I didn't bite his head off and that I didn't tell him what a terrible job he was doing, he began to have more confidence and think like, maybe I can actually do this because we, we reflect to our husbands a lot about what, who they are. And if I'm reflecting to him, you're a failure, you're worthless, you're hopeless, it can be tempting for a husband to believe that. And when I'm reflecting God's truth back to him, you are loved, you are precious, like God made you for a purpose and it's good. Um, Wives have an incredible power to influence our husbands for good or for evil. And so God has healed him so much. And we are not perfect. We haven't arrived. We're not in heaven yet, Hmm. but we are so far from where we were um, almost 11 years ago now. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, One last question. Um, What is the way for any Christian wife and mother to find her life and her fulfillment in God? So there's, there's several parts to it. I think Um, one is that you do have to decide that you're going to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus and Mm -hmm. let him be in charge because he is peace and joy and love and he is contentment and he gives us security in ways that no husband or person ever could. And so we have to look to him first for that and, and then seek to please him instead of ourselves or our husbands. We can't be people pleasers and be, content in Christ. Um, we have to recognize our idols and tear them out. Like I had mentioned, sin, right. anything that is toxic spiritually has to go. And we have to replace that with good things, with the Word of God, the truth of God, praise to God, thanksgiving, a thankful spirit. When we think about good things, Philippians 4, 8 kinds of things, it transforms, God transforms us by the power of His Spirit and His Word. And then He gives us His supernatural power to be the women He calls us to be. And we can truly be content even in the midst of trials. Not that we want trials, but His peace 
is supernatural and it can carry us through no matter what circumstances we may face. Well, thank you so much. This has just been great to hear you talk about your life, but really you're describing a dedicated Christian life. Right. You're talking about all the themes we teach our men in our residential program here at Peer Life, and uh, I appreciate that very much. So thank you for your time today, and uh, God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. We began the show by saying that April was a uh, blogger and a YouTuber, and I just want to give you some information where you can find her. She can be found on the internet at peacefulwife.com, and you can also find her under her name, April Cassidy, on the YouTube channel. I mentioned to April during our conversation that she regularly speaks about certain biblical themes among which are repentance, obedience, submission, and surrender. She speaks about the sin of pride and the need for humility. I mentioned to her that these are the exact themes we teach all the time at Pure Life to the men in our residential program. She's considered by some to be quite unusual because she has found true contentment in a happy marriage. Well, nowadays that is unusual. But the secret she discovered is not a secret at all. She is simply putting into practice the truth that she finds in the Word of God. And really, that's all we teach at Pure Life. Repentance, faith, submission, and surrender. Trading your pride for humility. Faith, and obedience. It's the Christian life. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.